How's everybody doing tonight? I invite you guys to finish taking your seats and prepare your hearts to hear a message. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speakers Step Series. Now let's have our joke from John. Hello guys. Uh, John, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Um, here's the joke. It's a homeless man and a guy walking down the street. Um, a man was walking through a rather seedy town, seedy section of town when a bum walked up to him and asked him for $2. The man asked, will you buy booze? The bum replied, no. Then the man asked, will you gamble it away? The bum said, no. Then the man asked the bum, will you come home with me so my wife can see what happens to a man who doesn't drink or gamble? Ah, ah, ah. John. <clears throat> I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Tanner. Amen. Thank you all for joining us tonight. In a minute or two, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might or will distract, that might and will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation.
start with a fog light prayer. If you don't know it, it's on the right and the left on the projectors. God, Amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Taylor to read spiritual to read spiritual appendix to spiritual experience. We read this. We read this because the main purpose of the twelve steps is to have one, so it's kind of important. It's kind of important to know what one is. Hey, I'm Taylor. I'm alcoholic. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes, or religious experiences, must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could barely have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months would seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unexpected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Um, Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that an alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information— which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. And that principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so so set your phones to airplane slash meeting mode or just turn them off. Um, It's been a great... It's been a great three months. Um, I'm 
I'm honored to introduce um, Peter for his last session. So, Peter, come on up. All right. My name is Peter, recovered alcoholic. Grateful to be alive and sober. I uh, say so a place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And again, <clears throat> thank the group for having me for the last uh, three months. Um, I start something, one of these in Boca in a couple of weeks, and so I'm not going to be here to hear Pat when he comes in. But um, as I said last week, I, I'm still amazed that this room is not packed on Thursday nights with some of the quality speakers you guys bring in. And um, how much I love being here. Even I'm sitting in the back with Michael having a cup of coffee listening to one of the, the speakers. Um, it's a great place to be on a Thursday. And the folks who set this up work hard. And I sponsor Michael. I know how one of the most passionate men for AA I've met in many years. And uh, the guys and the women who help him, uh, they work hard to do this. And so, I, I, again, I applaud you guys for bringing an AA meeting to Fort Lauderdale an AA meeting to Fort Lauderdale. I've been searching high and low for AA meetings, and they're in the book. And I got to a meeting last night, and there was a chapter out of the book, and we were talking about babysitting and the Thanksgiving holiday that's coming up. And I left, and I said, I have no idea what I just attended. And uh, so it gets frustrating from time to time in certain spots in South Florida looking for an AA meeting. And... um, so when I get here on a Thursday, whether I'm sitting out there up here, um, just walking in this place uh, makes it the drive worthwhile. And just being around here, it's a pretty cool deal. So I thank you uh, for feeding me for the last uh, 12 weeks. It's been, it's been great. And uh, God willing, I get back here um, and, and start it up again. I just wanted to get scented with a reading <clears throat> out of an author I've been studying for quite a while. And he says this. The man who does not permit his spirit to be beaten down and upset by dryness and helplessness, but who lets God lead him peacefully through the wilderness and desires no other support or guidance than that of pure faith and trust in God alone, will be brought to the promised land. He will taste the peace and joy of union with God. He will, without seeing, have a habitual comforting, obscure and mysterious awareness of his God, present and acting in all events of his life. The man who is not afraid to abandon all his spiritual progress into the hands of God, to put prayer, virtue, merit, grace, and all gifts in the keeping of him from whom they must all come, will will quickly be led to peace in union with him. His peace will be all the sweeter because it will be free of every care. That author, his name is Thomas Merton, uh, who dedicated his life to God. Um, and so those are some of the things <clears throat> I get to, we get to experience on this path. And we're talking about step 12 tonight, working with others and passing this message on and practicing these principles in all our affairs. And by now we're practicing these principles, godly principles in all our affairs, not the ones that just make us look good or convenient Uh, And by now, uh, if we've had a transformation, we have more principles than affairs. And when you come in here, we have a lot of affairs going on and very little principles. That's why I'm able to have affairs, because I have no principles. And so there's a shift that happens. And um, if you just allow me to read just 
uh, one more piece here. Um, in working with does, it says, Bill slipped this in. It's one of those little high end, if you're a baseball fan, it's curveball, 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 high and tight fastball, you know, to knock you off the plate. And he slipped this one in. And it says this, having had the experience yourself as a condition, you can offer him, the prospect, the sponsee, if you will, much practical advice as a condition. So we flip it around. If I haven't had the experience myself, is it possible I can't offer him any or her any practical advice, but opinions and hearsay? We can't transmit something we haven't gotten. Sometimes I can. What I do pass on is untreated alcoholism. And way back on page 18, it says this. Um, somewhere on 18. Give me one second. I just had it. (laughs) That the man who is making the approach has had the same difficulty that he obviously knows what he is talking about. It sounds like what we just, I just said that his whole deportment shouts at the new prospect that he is a man with the real answer that has no, has no attitude of holier than thou, nothing, whatever, except a sincere desire to be helpful that there are no fees to pay, no access to grind, no people to please, no lectures to be endured. That sounds like a treatment center. These are conditions we have found most effective. After such an approach, many take up their beds and walk again. That's taken right out of scripture. Pick up your mat and walk. Get up off the floor and go. That's what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous. We get the new person. We're men and women with the real answer. We have depth and weight. We've had the experience ourselves. We understand alcoholism because we were there, we're alcoholic. We know we suffer from alcoholism, not alcoholism. And I'm able to pass on something with depth and weight, not opinions. Not something I heard at a meeting. Or not something I tell you to do that I'm not doing because it sounds good. And the prospect, the new guy, isn't my housekeeper. He doesn't wash my car, he doesn't drive me around to meetings. As part of his job, his job is just to follow directions and to pass it on. And so what I do with uh, my sponsor, Mickey from Denver, Colorado, bless his heart, is my call time is seven o'clock on Monday nights. And if I have to speak, if I'm invited to speak on Monday nights, I go to Mickey and ask him, quite frankly, for permission. If it's a yes, I take the commitment. If it's a no, I pass on the commitment because it's that important to him and me, that call time. That doesn't mean I don't call him during the week. Um, Before I went to this Matt Talbot retreat on Friday, I had to call Mickey Friday morning just to get some things, get my head screwed on right, because there was some things happening that were had me kind of out of the saddle. And so I wrote some inventory and called him, and that's how that goes. But that call time is really important. And when I call Mickey, um, if he's given me some assignments to do, that completed. And what I have in front of me is my notepad with inventory, my Bible and my big book. And I punch in his number and he answers. He's always there. And then we talk. We talk about inventory. We talk about life. We talk about scripture. We talk about the carpenter. We just talk. Usually he's talking and I'm taking notes. And then I'll ask some questions and he'll answer me. And then we do our written inventory. And he usually pulls the inventory apart and allows me to see more truth. 
Because when I write him in charge, I see truth. He allows me to see even more truth and really what's the undercurrent of that. And I speak with him during the week. And it's life lessons, it's AA lessons, it's God lessons, but it's a teacher that I'm accountable to. I cannot fathom how I can do this path, though I know some folks who do it without a sponsor. That type of accountability crushes the ego a little bit. Taking direction and sharing those things I really don't want to share with the sponsor. They're going to think I'm foolish or I should be beyond this. Crushes the ego a little bit and it gets me back in the saddle in right size. And for that, I'm grateful. Our big book talks about how this should be the bright spot of our life. Working with others. And sometimes it's difficult when the calls come in, at the, it talks about well, we will be inconvenienced. When the call comes in, you know, it's bottom of the night. The Yankees are tied up in a game, and it's the playoff season, and I'm glued to the TV because I live and die with the Yankees. And then the phone rings. I don't want to, not now. Wait till the game's over, then call me, and I'll come get you. And you pick up the phone because you have to. Many times people have said, just turn off your phone, get some rest, because they know my whole life, quite frankly, is one of service. Take off, you know, shut your phone when you go to bed at night. And I can't do that. I don't even put it on silent. Don't even pick up the phone if I sleep through the ringing, which is rare because I'm a light sleeper. Because I was in Minnesota with a few months sober, and I was, I was crawling out of my skin one night. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take being sober. I didn't want to get drunk, and just life was coming at me like it does at the beginning. And if I'm not careful in sobriety, it'll come at me and devour me too if I don't have spiritual muscles. I need spiritual muscles because I don't know what the day is going to look like when life hits and I, and I need those muscles. But I remember calling this gentleman. I was living in Minnesota and I called this gentleman and my Lord, it was after midnight. And I said, I can't make this call. I keep sleeping. And on one ring, he picked up. This is way before cell phones. These are the old punching phones, the, the heavy, you know. And he picked up the phone in one ring. And I said, I wake you. No, we went to something called Midnight Bowling. They do that in Minnesota, Midnight Bowling. We just got back. What's going on? And I told him what was going on with me. And in about 15 minutes, I was back in my skin again, and I slept. So how could I turn off my phone if someone's going to call me and they're jammed up? Maybe someone just broke up with their girlfriend and doesn't know what to do. Or just something. Someone stuck with their car. And they think of me to call. So I think of it that way. They thought of calling, of all people, me at maybe 1 o'clock in the morning, which means they depend and trust me to do that. I need to pick up the phone. It's not about just coming to me and sitting down with a guy, cracking the book open and being like a robot and taking through the steps, have a nice life. I, I just wasn't taught that way. So I'm really grateful for that. And I'm very grateful for my sponsor, Mickey. And before him, my sponsor was Mark H., and Joe, and Don P, and Gary Brown. To me, these were giants in AA. And all of them had their hands on me on this journey. And my first sponsor was a guy named Tony back in Brooklyn, who was quite frankly a bulldog. He did not care about my feelings or anyone else's, how they perceived them. He was about saving lives. And he wasn't liked by a lot of people, except the people who wanted this language. And he was gruff. But so was Dr. Bob. And the thing I love about sponsorship, because all these men that I just mentioned were like this, I knew whether I liked the answer or not, they were going to give me the truth. And I needed that. 
Because when that's broken, I can't rely on you anymore. They would give me the truth. I can't say how many times uh, I've got on the phone with Mickey and he, he would say things like, you forgot you're alcoholic. And I would be insulted with that. You know, I'm speaking down at Alcoholics and God. Of course I know I'm an alcoholic. And, you know, you forgot you're an alcoholic based on this inventory and what you said you did. You forgot you're alcoholic. And I don't want to hear that, but someone's got to tell me that. Before I drift so far away that I really forget I'm alcoholic. I had alcoholism, and I'm a guru in AA. I have no accountability, and off I go. And then you hear about me. So I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful to be able to, and I thank my Heavenly Father, to still keep me passionate and excited about living in all three sides of our triangle. I still get excited about AA. I'm very passionate about this thing we belong to. For me, it's the last house on the block, and I try to treat it that way with dignity and respect and not take it for granted. Albeit there's a lot of meetings that I find down here that need a lot of work and a message, but it's still an AA meeting. So I make a lot of meetings and I sponsor a lot of men and I do have a sponsor. And, and if you get to walk with me and my better half, Marion, our life is service in all different ways. Our house sometimes sounds like a phone room. Um, <laughs> Tuesday night... <clears throat> we were both hearing fifth steps. And when I got into fifth step, I had two sponsees call me with their inventory, and she had about four. And then around 11 o'clock, and I, we introduced ourselves to each other. How you doing? How's everything? <laughs> so it's like that. And we had an early dinner because we knew we were going to be really busy. But that's our life, and we're at meetings. And because of that, we're able to find date night. We're able to find time together alone, whether it's just going down to the beach and watching the waves or going to, you know, just a walk or something. And we're able to do that, and it's that much better. So we, we've been given an absolutely wonderful life with all the difficulties and all the challenges out there. And I, I, I look at many nowadays challenges, real ones, um, but somehow head up and shoulder square and keep, keep, keep afloat during those challenges and wither the storm. And I, I thank my God for allowing that. I was reading something with Marion today to thank God for the hardships that he sends. Thank God for the difficulties that he sends. Now, it doesn't feel good, but it's just truth. Yeah. So when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous in 1988, God separated me June 23rd, 1980. I was clueless about this. Clueless about Alcoholics Anonymous after seven treatment centers. I didn't even know what a 12-step call was. And I was immediately thrown in the water when I brought, was brought to my first home group. But I knew nothing about sponsorship. I mean, the speakers in H&I would come into treatment and they would talk about this sponsor thing. And I thought it was some guy I had to pay to keep watch on me. And what's in it for him? Is he going to try to get cute with me when we get too close? And so I was really guarded. And, and just, you know, I'll just talk to people. That, that'll be easier. And in 1988, I was listening with different ears. I was listening, if you will, with the soul for the first time. And I wanted a sponsor. And I quickly saw, because God gave me ears to listen to that were different and eyes to see that were different. And I saw the difference between people who had sponsors who were in this book, and I speak for myself, and people had sponsors in name only, or people who call their sponsor once a month just to bounce stuff off of. That worked for them great. I couldn't go that way. That meant I was in charge a lot. 
And I didn't want that. And I, I was able to run into men at a meeting called Three Legacies in Minneapolis. And some of these men were sober, like double digits, 15, 20, and 30 years. And they talked about the intimate relationship they still had with a sponsor that they met often. Yeah? I said, I, I, I like that. I kind of like that. I like the way that sounds. I like what they're saying. I like the way they carry. Their deportment shouts the men with the real answer. I wanted what they had to offer. And they were dressed impeccable when they got up to the podium. And that really appealed to me. And so when I came home from Minnesota, I was praying, God, show me a teacher. I always loved the word teacher better than sponsor anyway. And uh, I was at a meeting one night at a group called the Free Spirit Group, which is going to be my first home group. And this gentleman got up there and he was, you know, edgy, but passionate and sure. And he talked about God, his relationship with God. He talked about the big book and the 12 steps. And now I'm listening. He talked about service and this glorious fellowship we belong to. And that soul said, go to that guy now. And after the meeting, I approached him. Oh, my God, you think I was going to propose for marriage? I was so nervous. Can you listen? I heard you speak. I like what you have to say. And, and I'm, you know, all gun shy. And he said, what do you want? <laughs> I said, would you sponsor me? And he gave me an assignment. He's go home, read the first 164 pages of the big book first. I said, well, okay. So I didn't know better to say, well, where is that in the big book? Because if I, in fact, if I would have said that, he would have said, get another sponsor. See, if someone comes to me and starts questioning my methodology, then you don't want me. We're going to start this now. Yeah. And then when we read how it works, uh, when we read working with others, it says we loan them a copy of this book. And on the second visit, having read the first portion of this volume, that's the first 164 pages of condition. Now, you don't have to follow if you want to, but that's what they did with me. So I ran home and read as fast as I could because I didn't want this guy to fly to coop and change his mind. I was that desperate. And I called him a few days later, did the reading. He asked me a couple of questions. He said, you think your alcoholic, your life's unmanageable? I says, yes. He said, do you want help? I said, yes. He said, are you willing to go to lunch to get help? And he emphasized the ending line, says, yes. He's now I'll sponsor you. And he said, meet me at my house. I went over to his house. He had, a, he had a big book in front of him and a notepad. And he opened up the cover of the book. And he flipped over the fly page and said, but the basic text pages 1 to 164 have remained unchanged. This is the A message. That's what you're working out of. And I said to him one day, he says, Tony, you know, someone I saw had this, um, uh, this fourth step guide and this kind of guide and these check mark fill in the box guide. And he, you know, didn't care about his language, but I'll clean it up. He says, why did you come to me for? I said, because you talk about the message in the book. So don't ask me about those, you know, those pamphlets anymore. He's to me, and I remember him saying, to me, that's non-AA stuff. We want to go out of the book of something that works. Okay, let's go. And so we began, and we began from the beginning of the book, and he showed me the first promise where it talks about we've recovered. Recovered, and he showed me what recovered meant. I never heard this language before, because I was going to meetings and people saying, recovering, I'm a recovering alcoholic. So I would parrot say, I'm a recovering alcoholic. He says, stop saying that. You're shortchanging God, AA, in the big book. And it's a terrible message, he said, to carry. Now, if you say that, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just sharing what was given to me, yeah? He's the goal is to get to recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. It's kind of like if I broke my finger and I went to the doctor and they set it and put a cast on it. After about, I don't know, three months, the cast comes off. They give you a little therapy 
and I'm fine. I don't have a cast on in five years saying I'm still recovering from a broken finger. It probably might not work as good as the rest of the fingers because it's been broken, but it works. I've recovered from that old wound. Unless I'm new, I'm going to doctors because I still need pain pills after five years, right? (laughs) Yeah. When did you break your finger? 20 years ago, but I'm in pain. (laughs) No, you got a habit. You know. Um, So, Tony began to walk me through the 12 steps. And what happened along that way is, um, we don't see a lot of that anymore. It's out there, but you don't see it with the frequency that we did, you know, like 30 years ago, 25 years, and certainly longer than that, the 12-step call, go and getting the wet drunk. I've done a few since I'm down here, but they're few and far between because treatment centers, unfortunately, took that out of our hands. We threw the weight on them, and you see how that works, yeah? You know, sometimes our idea of a 12-step call is just bringing a guy to a detox, and then you're done. And what I was told is you might have to bring him to a detox, And you're going to pick him up when he gets out and work with him. Now, I remember not a lot of guys going to treatment back then. It wasn't as common. And some of them just don't have money and insurance, so the weight's on us, as it ought to be. And so sometimes, I was just sharing this last night, I I couldn't believe it. The very first time my sponsor said this, we we had a guy in the back seat, he was in rough shape, and we pulled up in front of a liquor store. Tony gave me money, he says, go get him a pint of whiskey. I said, what? He says, go get him a pint of whiskey, he ain't going to make it. And I learned how you had a nurse a drunk through the night, give him a couple of shots, take him into the meeting, take him outside. Up there, the hour meetings have a coffee break right in the middle. Speaker speaks for 20 minutes, coffee break, come back in, take him into the parking lot, pop the trunk, give him a shot, bring him back into the meeting. And sometimes you take him home, give him a couple of shots. If not, he's going to go down. It's just what we did. Nothing better than having a brand new Maxima, Nissan Maxima, brand new. Throwing a guy in the back seat and he decides to puke on your brand new car. I want to kill him now. You say, yeah, he's taking it to extremes. This isn't any lens. But I'm still sober. That guy died, by the way. He's dead. So I got to do these 12-step calls, these live calls. And the very first 12-step call I ever did, I was petrified. We had this guy, uh, he, oh, I won't use his real name, we'll call him Joe. And uh, this old-timer driving one of those uh, panel station wagons. And we had Joe in the back seat taking him to uh, Coney Island Hospital in Brooklyn. And um, at first we got him in a car. He was drunk as a skunk and he was laughing and pretty giddy. Then he had the crying jags. Then I saw him wet himself. And I'm, I'm white as a ghost. I'm petrified. What do you do? I don't know what to do. And, and the driver's telling me, just watch and learn. Just watch and learn. He was unmoved by any of this. He had done these so many times. He needed a detox. We brought him to the hospital. And my sponsor, Tony, says... You're going to get him when he gets out. You're going to work with this guy when he gets out in about three days. You be ready because he's going to get out. He's going to be sober. And then you're going to work with him. I said, okay. And the next morning I went to work and that guy was on the corner panhandling. We just dropped him off. So I called my sponsor. He's on the corner panhandling. He left the, left the place early. What did I do wrong? He said, did you stay sober? Were you willing to work with him? You did nothing wrong. Welcome to the NFL. This happens a lot more than you like to think. 
So I stay on the firing line and God keeps me unharmed. And I love working with people when they're willing to work with me. One thing that frustrates me, I'll let you in on this, is when someone calls on their call time and they're driving their car, they treat it that cavalier, or they don't have inventory, or the assignment's not done. Oh, I love this one. A week goes by. I had a great week. I didn't write in inventory. Really? You're that good? Nothing has disturbed you this whole week. I called my sponsor, Tony, one time. And I says, Tony, it was a great few days because I used to call three times a week. Great few days. I have no inventory. He says, really? He said, this is what you're going to do. Duplicate exactly what you did for the last three days for the rest of your life. You don't need me, God, or AA. And hung up the phone. Now I had a resentment. <laughs> That's a true story. Yeah. I'm grateful for teachers like that. Don P. and Mark used to do this. I'd give them one of my alcoholic justifications, and they would go, so let me get this right, which means they're going to basically can you at this point, and they repeat what you just said, and then they would follow up, but so how's that working out for you? Okay, I hear you. And I love men like that. I still do. I don't need that bulldog approach like I used to, but I need that straight ahead shoot from the hip. And anyone knows me, I I rarely sugarcoat stuff. I can't work that way. I got to go on what God gives me. And sometimes it comes out edgy, but it's just the way it is. And although I hate to see someone really hopeless and beaten down, it's great to work with folks like that because they're so teachable. They're not making arrangements or constraints or conditions on how this is going to look. It's basically, please help me. I'll do anything you ask me to do. And work's not in the way. The girlfriend, if they have one, is not in the way. There is no money to get in the way. There's nothing in the way other than the path. And the path is no longer in the way for them because sometimes what gets in the way is the way. Well, all this work, all this reading, yes, What lens did I go to to get drunk? Any lens. So you're not willing to go any lens to get sober. Then you got the wrong guy. That sounds kind of like in, you know, our, some of our politically correct AA nowadays. Well, that's kind of ruffling feathers. Well, you know, uh, alcoholism had no mercy on my life. Zero. It would step on my throat and watch me turn blue, let go, and then start it all over again. And love the suffering of me and my family. So there's no way I hope to ever give alcoholism a breath. Or be merciful with alcoholism. I'll be merciful with the drunk, obviously. Because in there is a really good person. But what owns them is alcoholism. That has to go. And sometimes we need to take a machete to that. Yeah? Just the way it is. So again, I, 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 over and over, I, I think of these things sometimes about... Listen, I'm, I'm a guy from Brooklyn. I spent 15 minutes in college. I did nothing to mankind before I got sober. Nothing helpful. And God plucks me out of there and puts me with the first teacher to strip down the tree to the nothing. And that was Tony. And then I run into men, like I mentioned earlier, great teachers for me that based on what I had done when I was using, do I really deserve men like this in my life? Teachers, enlightened men, gurus in my book, and we do have gurus in AA. It's when the person thinks they're a guru, they're not a guru. You know, woe to the man so possessed, he thinks he possesses God. But these were giants. 
And I, I feel just sometimes so blessed. Um, uh, Mary and I talk about her sponsors, Polly Pistol. And when we talk about our sponsors and the people God has put in our life, the two of us, it's, you know, we need a box of Kleenex because we both get emotional about it. How do we get here? Marion sponsor Polly is just, just, just what, what a woman. The real deal. You know, she's from Bellingham, Washington. She comes in t- contact with Polly, and Polly starts working with her, and our life changed forever. Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. There's a promise and a condition here that Bill's saying immunity from drinking. That's a promise. The condition is intensive work with other alcoholics. So me taking a guy to a meeting is a great thing. Taking that guy to meetings is a great thing. Maybe I'm taking him to where a message is going to be delivered, but taking the guy to a meeting is not intensive work with other alcoholics. They're talking about cracking a book open and moving them through the book and taking on all their stuff and navigating them through that, assuming we have someone who's teachable. That's to me sponsorship, to make sure they get a home group, to make sure they get service and let them teach them why they're doing this. And what all my teachers did, as I I do with the men I sponsor, we get a general understanding of our traditions and the history of AA, because when I know what I belong to, I become a better member. The very humble beginnings of this thing. Just think at one point, there was no such thing as Alcoholics Anonymous on the globe. And when it started, you went to one meeting a week. If you were lucky, there were parts of this country that still didn't have AA, but they had big books. So you went to a meeting a week. What did you do during those other six days? Prayed like crazy and go to detoxes or wherever, go to the house and pull a drunk out, sit him down, let's go. Because me sponsoring you, whether you get drunk or not, is going to save my butt today. Our book and and working with others talks about that that new guy may be doing more for me, me than I'm doing for him. Sometimes we see the sponsor come in all, you know, freshly dipped and glowing and you're the sponsor, the sponsor and I'm the sponsor and I sit in the chair and I dictate to you, you're so lucky to be in front of me. They forgot that drunk is keeping them sober today. That messy drunk who's inappropriate but is teachable is going to help me get spiritual muscles today. The same way my God, when I went to him, June 23rd, 19, he says, please take me from this. I don't want to die. He picked me up off my mat and said, now go walk. I'll put the people in your path. You just keep walking. Walk blindly. Don't even pay attention. I will put people in your path. And that's been my journey. Thomas Merton has a prayer, something like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where you're taking me pretty much but I'm trusting on you to lead me. There's many times I've spoken to all my sponsors over the years, and I would wonder where where are they taking me? Why are they giving me this direction? You know, short as this between two points, straight line, and they're taking me on these detours. Why? I understand why. Now live life forward, understand it backwards. Well, sure, immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. Earlier, Bill talks about to survive the certain trials and low spots, the certain trials and low spots. Not that it's surprised when they come up, because we will get the, the trials and low spots. Work with another drunk. And I tell guys, if there's no one to work with, get to that meeting early, set up and break down. Put, put yourself out there. It'll get me out of my own way. 
It says we can help carry this message to other alcoholics. Then it says this, we can help when no one else can. That's a profound statement Bill makes, one with humility, but profound. We, us, can help the drunk when no one else can. That includes clergy, doctor, treatment center, sober house, detox, wherever you want to go, 80000 a month, best insurance, best clergy, best priest in the neighborhood. They can't do what we can because God ordained it that way. Because if God wanted them to carry the message, he would have gave it to them. He gave it to Bill and Bob and Ebby and so on to pass on to me when I get here in 1988. This is incredible what we belong to. It doesn't make any sense. I've said this from a million podiums. If, God forbid, one of us were jammed up or worse drunk, and it was 2 o'clock in the morning, try calling your therapist, you get a voicemail. Try calling your doctor, you're getting a voicemail. You get the answering service. Call a treatment center, what kind of insurance you got. You don't have any, sorry. I'll refer you out. Click. Try calling, even I'm a Catholic, try calling my parish. It's going to go to voicemail. 2.30 in the morning, call an alcoholic. They pick up the phone. You tell them what's going on. This is what you hear. I'm on my way and I'm bringing a few with me. Because I call up this one and that, yeah, where are we going? Okay. They wake up because it's 2.30 in the morning. They're tired. I'll meet you. Pick me up. Off we go. There was a gentleman, rest his soul, Tom Staten Island, notorious for this. You call Tom up at any time, he shake off the cobwebs, I'll drive, I'll come get you, we'll go. Over and over and over again, he would do that. He's at the big meeting in the sky now. It says, you can secure that confidence when others fail. Another profound statement, but he's just throwing them in there. Later on in, in, in Vision for You, it says something like, although I be... But one man with the book under my arm, how can I do what all of you have done? And he reassures us, we can. Because with that book and with that soul, I got my hand in God and off we go. Remember, they are very ill. So the guy with a couple of months coming back and is a little inappropriate, doesn't understand protocol, is here trying to pick up women. That's what we do when we're in the dark. We're still on the old uh, GPS. So we got to sit them down and say, next time you speak, get dressed. Leave the ladies alone. When you come in here, we don't curse. Hold the door open for people. Things like that. Because we don't know. I didn't know. I did not know. My first AA birthday, I was home from Minnesota like weeks and I went to the home group. They says, let's just change the rules because you had to be there a while before you celebrated. He just got here. He just makes one year. So he's, yeah, the group, let him celebrate. So I'm home just a few weeks and I get up to get my coin and I drop like four F-bombs in a row. <laughs> That's how I spoke. Well, when the meeting was over and people are hugging you and patting you on the back and applauding you in free spirit, we had the meeting room. You go up a couple of steps to the back and in the kitchen. My sponsor standing on the, on the stage there like this. Come over here. <laughs> when a sponsor does that, if you're new and your sponsor does that, leave the country because you're about to get it. <laughs> I don't know. What's up? We went in the kitchen. Well, he went up one side and down the other on me. He said, there, was women in, there were women in this room tonight. How dare you use that kind of language? How dare you use that kind of language in an AA meeting? And when he got done, I, I, okay, okay. I didn't know. 
And he would come back with, now you do. And what I had to do was go back the following week and raise my hand and make amends to the entire group for my language. I hated it, but I loved the fact that he cared that much for me, my sobriety, and Alcoholics Anonymous. Teachers, that's what I'm supposed to be doing now. Without expectation that anyone's going to listen, because usually they don't, unless they're desperate. Life will take on new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our life. Just a quick story on this. We will know loneliness such as few do. A number of years ago, I I was just sharing this story uh, about a week ago with someone. A couple of years ago, my youngest brother, he's a big strappy kid, tough kid. We didn't know he was suffering from like severe bipolar stuff. We had no idea what was going on with him. He would spike and bottom out, spike and bottom out, and he bottomed out really bad. And uh, I had just got home from speaking at a conference in Texas. It was a Sunday night. I dropped my bags and my phone rings, and it's my daddy's. You got to come here. He said, I don't know what's going on with your brother. My brother was staying with my dad for a few days. So he filled me in, and I get there, and I'm watching this big muscle kid just crumbling in front of me. He can't stop crying. I feel alone. I don't want to live, all this other stuff. So the red flags are going up. So I sat with him like I would another drunk. In fact, I told my dad, leave me alone with him for a while. And I looked at my brother as a sick and suffering person, because he was, and I talked to him. I didn't preach to him. I talked to him like he was another drunk. Fast forward, we got him to a doctor, did some tests, went on medication, and little by slowly, after a few months, when they regulated, he was okay. And he's okay today, thank God. He has his little spikes and his little downs, but it's nowhere near where it was. But when that was going on, my brother kept saying, I feel so alone. I reassured him he's not, but that's where he was at. So my immediate reaction was to call some AA men that I know, some guys that I sponsor, some of my friends. Because we know loneliness such as few do. And my brother said that, the bell went off. And I shared with him, my kid brother Anthony is going through this stuff. Would you guys just ring him up? Here's his number. Just talk to him. Let him know he's got some friends. Well, I told a handful of guys, basically half of New Jersey AA was calling my brother at this point because the word got out. Pete's brother's in trouble. Give him a call. Give me his number. That's what AA's did. He goes by the name of Sonny. Sonny, I'm a friend of your brother's. What's going on? I heard you have enough tough. I always had the same thing. And, and my dad called me up. He says, all these AA people are calling your brother. What's going on? And a part of me was not surprised at all because that's what we do in AA and outside of AA. And my brother had this whole tribe of AA men who we became friends with. And then my brother came to one of my anniversaries. I introduced him. This is him, and this is him, and this is him. We went out to eat, and I watched my brother just light up around these guys who were there for him when he was at his lowest, because we know loneliness such as few do. And when I'm working with the drunk now, and I can see that look, they might be trying to present well, but the light in the eyes is off, and they're scared, and they're depressed. I need to understand that, not preach, but talk, like the men did to me when I came in. 
This is truly God's work here, 12-step work. Whether we're getting the drunk and pulling them out of a crack house or, or a shooting gallery or under a bridge, and a few times I had to throw a guy in a shower, we do a 12-step call with another person. You know? It's icky. Another man, you have to undress him and put him in the shower. It's icky. And pretty much hose him down, get him dressed, put him in a car and take him. Who else is going to do it? It's truly God's work. For, and it's for fun and for free. I don't send him a bill. It says, because of our own drinking experience, we can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. So I cooperate, not criticize those people, the professionals. We cooperate with them, whether they cooperate with us or not. In this type of disciplined life, there's a tremendous amount of freedom. And we're almost called to do it because the road has gotten narrow. As free as we are, the road has gotten narrow. How can I not pick up the phone? How can I not go on that 12-step call? How can I not sponsor that guy? And if I have too many, I call him and I sponsor and I, I, I put him in front of him. But how can I turn my back on another drunk? Because I will tell you, no one in A has ever turned their back on me. I perhaps didn't like the information, perhaps the delivery or the message, but no one ever turned their back on me in AA. Even if they were loaded up with life and they had a head full and they had a talk, they put down their coffee cup and said, what's going on? And they would spend time with me. And sometimes that's all a drunk needs is time. And sometimes all the sponsor or the new guy needs is someone to hold on to while they just cry or scream through a dark night, knowing someone is there. Because they were there for me. I love my big book. I love the methodology. But sometimes I watch folks get so worshiping of the methodology they forget to hold on to a drunk when they can't get another hour sober. And I'm not talking about babysitting. But just being there. I'm, I got you. I'm with you. When I was in Minnesota, they said something to me that was very Brooklyn. Certain I grew up with. And I was nervous and I didn't have money. And they said this, you're with us now. That was a neighborhood slogan. You're with us now. And that resonated very deeply with me when those men in Minnesota said, you're with us now. I had a tribe with no money and no job. But they took me in. There were no conditions on it either. It was welcome. Want to stop drinking? Welcome. We, we, we got gotcha. you. We got gotcha. you. And they would give me these little AA, you know, uh, pamphlets and the little bookmarks. And you thought they would give me a Rolex watch, you know. Old time Jim knows my name. You know, you walk into a meeting, they look at you. Hey, kid, how you doing? And then a month goes by. Hey, Pete. Oh, my God. He knows my name. The guy was 50 years sitting in the back. Call me by my first name. I'm floating out of the room. I'm finally somebody in an anonymous program, but I'm somebody. <laughs> when I discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, I found out all I can about him. Now, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just go and you get one. Sometimes you meet the family and they'll talk to you about him. 
There was a guy um, in Brooklyn, I remember doing this. I went over as a whole houseful as a sit-down. looked like the Sopranos when they tried to do an uh, intervention. This was scary. So I take the drunk in the next room, this guy named Jerry, and I'm talking to him. He's all ready. And when I walk out, what did he say? I said, I, I can't. What do you mean you can't tell me? I, I'm not going to discuss that with you. And they threw me out. What kind of place is this? We're his family. You've got to tell us. But I knew that information he gave me was sacred. Sometimes you just walk in on a 12-step call. I used to belong to the, uh, in Brooklyn, they had this hotline where you would go on, on call from certain hours, and they'd call you. Eight o'clock at night, can you go get this drunk? Six o'clock, can you take this guy to a meeting? I don't know what I'm walking into. So sometimes my sponsor and I, or another sponsee, we drive to maybe Flatbush, Brooklyn. We drive up to the dress, hit the horn, here comes the drunk, and they're fine. And sometimes we had to go in and they weren't fine. And sometimes you do find out about them. Whatever it is, I go in with God. I go in armed with the facts. And we start to learn how to treat alcoholics. Little by slowly. And I learned by watching the elders in AA. Nothing rattled them. He gets sick, throw up. We clean it up. You know? They get really violent. You call 911. I learned this one time going into a hotel. It was a guy named Big Vinny, Little Danny, and Tony. Brooklyn, everyone had names. You know them. (laughs) Paulie knows these guys. And we had to go into a flea bag motel. So I don't know what I'm doing. I walk in. One guy went in the bathroom. Another guy checked the closets. Another guy looked under the bed. Because you don't know who's in there and what kind of weapons are laying around. These things happen. The coast was clear. Now we can pay attention to the drunk and not worry. Yeah. My first 12-step call down here was on Federal Highway in Pompano. It was about midnight. I had to go into some flea bag motel. So I walk up to the front desk. I says, I'm from Alcoholics Anonymous. Here's my driver's license. You got a guy drinking himself and cracking himself to death in room 101, whatever it was. I'm here to get him with some of my friends. If he dies, you might have to call the cops. He says, go. <laughs> we had to basically kick the door open. He was a train wreck, filthy. Undressed him, threw him in a shower, and took him up to Fort Lauderdale somewhere to some hospital. They held on to him for like 48 hours and cut him loose. He went on a drunk of drunks, lasted years. He's got about two years sober now, thank God, living in Naples, Florida. Thank God. So when I discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, I found out all I can about him. If he doesn't want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. And that brings me to page 96, because this has happened to me. I want him to get sober. He don't want to get sober. And I try to bait him, and they're not listening. Move on. Page 96 tells me this. This is a tough page to swallow. It's just the instructions. Do not be discouraged. If your prospect does not respond at once, search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. Here's what the book says. We find it a waste of time time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If we leave the person alone, they may soon become convinced that they cannot recover themselves. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. Because if I'm focusing on Joe trying to get Joe sober and he doesn't want to get sober, I can't hear Bill banging on the back door. Please let me in. That's a tough one. It's happened to me. And some don't make it. Some don't make it. Um, So 
the 12-step calls, the home groups, passing this message on, taking people through the work, getting them involved in the fellowship, driving them to God. That's what this whole thing's about, all three legacies, about taking a drunk and bringing them to God. And somewhere in that journey, they wake up and they find God and they want more of it. They're called. They hear the calling. They become servants of God in Alcoholics Anonymous for free. I travel a lot. I get invited to a lot of places. And there are still people out there who think I'm getting paid for doing that. The only thing those conferences do is pay for my airfare, hotel, and if I have to eat. They do not give me money for speaking. In fact, if they did, it would tarnish the talk in the whole conference because it's not altruistic. And you can't buy God. You can't pay. I can't pay for my soul. I don't know what I would do without Alcoholics Anonymous. If they came out with a pill and says, you'll never drink again. You don't have to go to that cult called AA because people think it's a cult. I, 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 I couldn't do that. AA has nourished me, grew me up in AA, made me a man from a punk kid. Has given me dignity and self-respect and respect for other men and women. A lot of people may not like me. Some people may like me. Unless someone's making up a lie, there's no one in AA can say that I, I took a cheap shot on a lady in AA in 31 years. I wasn't like that before I got to AA. It's these things that it's done for me. It's allowed me to have a relationship with my dad and my kid brothers. And able to embrace an angel like Marion when God sent her to me and not screw that up. I'm, I'm blessed beyond what I can imagine. And I, I, I only have a couple of minutes here. I got sober and my family had every right to keep the doors locked on me until I proved over a course of years that I was even worthy to walk back in their house. But God gave them a forgiving spirit as he got me sober. And I finally got an apartment. There was a couple of women at the free spirit group says, honey, I heard you got an apartment. Congratulations. Come to me. Come to my car. I opened up the trunk and she had an old black and white TV. She says, it's yours. They did it for me when I got here. And they were giving me little things to get on my feet for fun and for free. They wanted nothing in return. Don't tell anyone. Keep it between us. And I moved into my first apartment with all the money I saved from working. I had nothing left in a bank. First month, last month, whatever it was, got the keys, walked in. I slept in a sleeping bag that night. There was nothing, no curtains, nothing. Just four walls and me in a sleeping bag. And I had a big book and a Bible. And I slept in, in the Taj Mahal that night. And a couple of weeks went by, the doorbell rang. It was my dad. He walked in and he had two boxes, a coffee pot and the cups and saucers, you know, the service for four. And we had our first sober cup of coffee together in God knows how long. And my dad, I remember him, just kept staring at me. And I was very uncomfortable. And he's intimidating, especially back in the day. And he's just staring at me as we're having coffee. And I'm, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm very uncomfortable. And he, what he shared with me is that he couldn't believe he was looking, having a cup of coffee with the son. And I was sober. That was actually, he was actually doing this with me, having a cup of coffee. And I wasn't borrowing money. I wasn't on a lamb. The cops weren't looking for No one was looking. Having a cup of coffee. Father and son having a cup of coffee in the morning. He couldn't believe this was actually happening. 
Our book says great events will come to pass for you and countless others. That cup of coffee is still here. I apologize with me. It was a great event because of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'll close with this, a book that has nothing to do with AA. But perhaps after you hear it, you'll realize it has everything to do with AA. It says this, May I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with oceans to cross, a bridge for those with rivers to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. I thank you for having me. That's all I got. Peace. I just want to give a special thank to this group and uh, everybody. Uh, we want to give a special thanks uh, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope for the past three months. It's been a, it's been a very pleasure, a very, very g- uh, good experience for all of us. Uh, we have a first gift is two collectors, limited edition pr- production, first edition big book, refrigerator magnet. And the second <laughs> gift we have is a limited edition coffee mug. Thank you so much for limited your service, edition. Peter. Thank, thank you, you a lot. That was great. Let's go ahead and thank Peter one more time. And now to introduce our secretary, and tonight's secretary is Mike Chase. Yeah. Thank you, sir. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Mike. No, I'm, my name is Mike Chase, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are, will be going around soon. As the baskets are going around, oh, I'm sorry. Ask them, um, Carly, would you please come up and read the recovery statement for us, please? We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering, and what it means, what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Carly. I'm Carly and I'm a recovered alcoholic. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship from the four to the second edition Alcoholics Anonymous. Of Alcoholics who came to A and really tried, fifty percent got sober at once and remained that way. Twenty five percent sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed with AA showed improvement. 
What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should his sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75 success rate, 75% success rate. Can I see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics in the room? Leave your hands up. If your hand's not up, I suggest you talk to some of the folks who's are. Can I see a show of hand of anyone who needs a sponsor? Don't be shy. It's life and death. If you're shy, come up to the podium afterwards and we can get you hooked up with somebody. Hi. Stand up real quick. What's your name? Uh, Nice to have you here. Give him a round of applause, you guys. Let's get him back to God. Let's, I want to see him, a bunch of people with him tonight, hopefully. Um, please join us Monday nights for the Big Book Study, where the Big Book comes alive. We got some announcements over here. We got the Broward County Institutions, uh, Broward County Inner Group, which is a place where you get your inner group, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, knickknacks, and other paraphernalia. Next. Don't you like the pumpkins? They're cute. Um, we, got this, we got some... Um, Opportunities for volunteer. We got flyers in the back. Next. Broward County Institutions Committee. Do we have anybody on that committee? Raise your hand. Can you stand up, you guys? If you guys need uh, Broward Institutions, they bring meetings into places where people like us can't go to. They're looking for volunteers to speak, right? They're looking for volunteers to take meetings into meetings. So talk to one of these two people afterwards. They'll get you connected so we don't need anything else. Um, Their meetings eventually. Uh, gratitude planning meeting. If you want to go to the gratitude dinner, you have to have a volunteer part of it. You can either pass around coffee or help and set up, set tables up. But that's how you get tickets. So we have planning meetings all over the place. Uh, general service. This week, oh my God, if you want to see how general service intergroup works, this is the weekend for you up in Boca. It's uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They've got flyers in the back. But seriously, go check it out. It's a hoot to see how general service keeps this all running for us. Next. Early timers meeting, uh, that's going to be then, which is October 12th. Check that one on That's Us. So hopefully you'll be there for us. Um, we meet every Thursday starting probably at 7.15. We ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. We'll see you guys next week. Oh, by the way, next week we got Pat R. starting up, so he'll be here for the next 12 weeks. We got Pat for two weeks, and then he's got to go up and do the, he does, you know, that big books, um, comes alive seminar. He's going to be out of town on the 24th, and we got Tom R., and he's got a special historical presentation on how the book got put together and all the infighting and all the loving and all the craziness that got together to get the book. So that's going to be a really good thing. So hopefully we'll see you guys for that. Have a nice night. Thanks. Um, and the, uh, everybody who'd wish to uh, thank Peter tonight, please line up in the center aisle. And uh, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Who brought us from shame to grace?
Bubbles when you laughing. Bubbles when you laughing. Yes, the sun comes shining through. But when you crying.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
lessons when I go to sleep at night in a dream now. In a dream now. And everything's alright. <laughs> oh, man. Going on 10 years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Shot.